Let's pray. Father, I'm not worthy to bring your message, your word, to these people. But I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with me and that you would guide me through this and bless everybody here. And I pray that that you will teach us how to put your word into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. um, The ushers have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, if you can raise your hand, they'll pass them out. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. And um, I want to say, too, that we're really blessed to have Nick... Weber, come here to be with us, to be our pastor. It's been, um, actually, I don't even see him. Oh, yeah, so it's really been, a, it's, I think one of the great things that Steve did before he left, he gathered a group of guys together to go through all the app, a bunch of applicants and pick out really a top-notch pastor to take his place. And it's going to be a great blessing to have him here. So the question is, what am I doing up here since he's already here with us? (laughs) Well, the short answer to that is he's just getting settled in. He's waiting for his stuff to be moved here. And his family's in transition, so we didn't want to burden him with having to give a message um, as he's making that transition and it worked out well because unexpectedly his family got the flu, knocked them out, really knocked them flat. So they're recovering from that now, but it's it's good that he has a little bit of time to rest. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. And I've titled the talk, All Believers Are Priests of God. So it's not just about Nick, it's about all of us. And that's what we're going to see in the text here. Oops. 1 Peter 2, 4-10 As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So in this passage you have a lot of pictures that help us to understand what Peter's trying to say. He uses a picture of the cornerstone to describe Jesus. And he uses three images, four images to describe us. Stones being built together into a temple, priests, and a nation. 
I'm going to introduce another image here, another picture, which is a sandwich. <clears throat> the reason I do that is because not it's in the it's not in the text, but it kind of describes the structure of the text. Because at the beginning and the end of this passage, at least in verses five and verse nine, you have a similar concept. The concept that we, as Jesus's followers, are priests. So you have verse five and verse nine. That's like the bread of the sandwich, the top and the bottom. So the top it says. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then the bottom of the sandwich, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's what Peter says that we are, all of us. Then we get to the meat. And the sandwich doesn't mean anything unless you got something inside, right? If it's just raw bread, it's kind of dull. You got to have the meat. And here's the meat. What's in the middle here, verses 6 and 7, is that Jesus is the cornerstone. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So uh, Jesus is at the heart. He's what it's all about. And there wouldn't be any sandwich without the meat, right? Just like that, there won't be any of us being priests unless Jesus is at the center. So Jesus is the cornerstone. He's rejected by other people, but he's crucial. He's precious. He's the foundation that we build our lives on. He's reliable. And there's an encouragement in here, in this message, because if you think about the context overall of 1 Peter the people were the believers were facing persecution and they had a tough time they had a lot of trials that they were going through and when they talked about Jesus they were getting rejected again and again and as they were rejected peter needs to encourage them to understand the truth is with them it didn't matter if somebody rejects what you have to say because the truth is with you. Jesus is the cornerstone, whether people believe it or not. So he's encouraging them and reminding them who they are in Christ. So we have to build on the cornerstone. And we couldn't be priests if he's not first the high priest. It's because Jesus died that we live. He's the cornerstone, and so we can be the stones that are built up into the house of God, the house of worship. He's the vine, and we're the branches. Sandy reminded us of that a few weeks ago. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's the gate for the sheep. He's the good shepherd. He's the light of the world. He's the word of God. He's the bread of life. Jesus is all in all. He's the great I am. Jesus is the creator of the universe. He's the son of man. He's the son of God and the lamb of God. Jesus is the savior and the judge 
the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is our Lord. He knows our name. He loves us. And He's the cornerstone. And nothing we say from here on makes any sense unless Jesus is at the center of it all. So with that, I go on and talk about what Peter says about us. So he gives us this image of stones. And I think of rather than some random shaped stones, more like bricks. Because he's saying we're all being built together into a house, a spiritual house to serve God. And then there's the image as we're being built up into that house, that temple where we worship God. Actually, the house has two meanings. And I think they're both in play here because the other meaning is the house is the people or the family. So we're being built up into a family of God. And then he builds on that image and talks about a nation, the people of God. Once you were not a people, now you are a people. He's drawing on the Old Testament, Hosea chapter 2. So we were just a bunch of disjointed people. We didn't know each other, we didn't care about each other, and God brought us together. And now we're a family, we're a nation, we're a people whom God has given mercy to. And finally there's the image of the priest who offers spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. I'm going to develop that image a little bit more in detail. That comes from the Old Testament. There's almost a direct quote here from Exodus 19. The same image is used again in the book of Revelation three times. But what does he really mean by this concept that we are priests to serve our God? It's like what Jesus said. You get the 5,000 people, actually 5,000 men plus the women and children, all those people together out in the countryside where there's nobody around. And they said, the disciples came to him, what are we going to do? We've got to feed these people. And Jesus says, you feed them. Well, that was a big shock to them. They're saying, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed all these people? If we go into the town, we don't even have enough money to feed so many people. But Jesus already is getting them to think. Before he performs the miracle and feeds the 5,000 people, he's already getting them to think about how they would do it. Because he knows he is going to turn his ministry over to his disciples in the future. He's training them. He's preparing them. So he sends out the 12. And then he sends out the 70 not just the 12 apostles, but he sends out a group of 70 followers to preach the good news and to heal the sick and to cast out demons and to do all the things that he was doing because that's what his intent was, was to train them up because the Holy Spirit was going to come and dwell in their hearts. That's why Jesus could say with confidence about the things that he had been doing in John 14, 12, you will do even greater things than these. That's why Acts chapter 1, verse 1, is like a pivot point between the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And he refers back to the book of Luke 
as all that Jesus began to do and teach. Well, what does he mean that Jesus began to do and teach unless he means that Jesus is going to continue to do and teach something? He's going to continue to do that as he describes in the book of Acts through his followers as he pours out the Holy Spirit on them and empowers them to do his work and you see the results and the fruit of that at the end of chapter 2 when all the believers gather together and they worship daily and they read the Bible and they pray together and they encourage one another and they share their possessions with each other. That's why we oftentimes read in 1 Corinthians 14.26 there's one body, one spirit, and many gifts, the manifestation of that spirit in us is different. We need to come together in order to have that expression of how the Holy Spirit's working differently in each of us. And finally, we know that through Christ, remember, it's always through Christ, through Christ, the temple curtain was torn in half from top to bottom. That means Symbolically, that was God's message to us that we have access to the holy of holies, the very presence of God. Every one of us who believes in Jesus, through Christ, we can do what the high priest couldn't even do. Because the high priest could only go in and see and and be in the holy of holies once a year. But now we can do that all the time because we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So all of us are priests in that sense. I want to spend a little bit of time to go back into history because I think some of us, at least in my experience, we go out into the world and we get criticized and we get beaten down and we get rejected and we get discouraged. And so just like Peter, we need to be built up. We need to realize what's the truth. The facts are backing up what we say. And the truth is, well, first of all, go back into history, that this concept of the priesthood of all believers, that was more or less recovered with the Protestant Reformation because somehow the church had been a little abusive of their power. They'd been taking too much power to the leaders and not acknowledging that this is the Holy Spirit is for all of us. But it took a couple hundred years for us to see the fruit of that. Eventually, Protestants started sending missionaries out. There was a study by Robert Woodbury where he pulled together the statistical data and it very, gave a very compelling case and shows that basically modern democracy as we know it today in Asia, Africa, South America, Oceania, all of those places would not exist if it were not for Protestant missions. Literally, what God did through his people has changed the world forever. It's amazing what it's done. He, so he cited this, the study says that conversionary Protestant missions is by far the greatest factor in producing modern democracy. And conversionary meaning that we seek to make disciples. We want to lead people to Christ. 
as he studied that, he said, you know, it makes sense because they had this concept that all believers are priests, but if we want to be priests to serve our God, then the reasoning was we need to enable people to read so that they can read the Bible, so that they can understand what God's saying to them and minister to each other and minister to others. So because they were priests too, they were empowered to do a lot of things and, and there were side benefits, health, economic development, education. Here's a quote from his research. It says, areas where Protestant missionaries had a significant presence in the past are on average today more economically developed with comparatively better health, lower infant mortality, lower corruption, greater literacy, higher educational attainment, especially for women, and more robust membership in non-governmental organizations. That's a lot to swallow in one quote, so I'm going to say it again and condense a little bit. Areas where Protestant missionaries had a significant presence in the past are, on average, more economically developed today, with better health, lower infant mortality, lower corruption, greater literacy, and higher educational attainment, especially for women. Those are the facts. There's another big factor besides education, though, and that's the, the whole principle of the cross. Because those who went out to serve God laid down their lives for the sake of the gospel. And they weren't afraid to stand up to abuses of power, the colonial powers. So they would take pictures of things that people were doing wrong as, as, as colonists. They would take pictures of those things, send them back to their home country. It would get into the press and then there was pressure from the government this has to stop. And so a lot of the abuses were, were limited. Because that's the way people are, right? There's sin out there. But because they were willing to stand up to it, they made a difference. Those missions movements started with, for the most part, with prayer of college students. Young people like some of our own kids. Just like them. Just ordinary college students getting together to pray that God would send workers into his harvest fields. And God did that. And a lot of them were the ones that he called. And they were ordinary people. I think of the story of Gladys Aylward. Actually, she wasn't a college student. She never made it to college. When she was 14, in order to support herself, she had to work as a housemaid in England. She started working at 14, cleaning houses. By the time she was 18, she went to hear a talk and she, she realized that she was called to missions. She knew she needed to go to China. God was calling her. She applied to China Inland Mission, which was the missions agency that started by Hudson Taylor. And after working for a while to, to, to be able to go to China... They finally said, you don't cut it. You're not smart enough. You probably won't be able to learn the language. We can't afford to invest to send you to China. So they, they said no. But she didn't give up. 
She corresponded with an older lady in her 70s who was in a small little village on the Silk Road called Yangcheng. Along the Silk Road, there was this little village. And this lady said, if you can get here, I can surely use your help. So she saved up her money working as a maid until she finally was able to buy train tickets to go across Europe and Russia and to China. She got stopped before she made it to the border. She almost got kidnapped. Well, she got kidnapped. She almost didn't make it, but she, eventually she escaped and worked her way to China where she worked with this older lady to set up an inn. So these mule trains that were going along the Silk Road, traveling through Central Asia and China, they would stop at the inn. And then Gladys Aylward would tell them stories about the Bible. They would tell them stories of the Bible. They would start to repeat those stories as they traveled along the road, the mule trains, the drivers of the mules. And some of them would stop at the end, going both ways. They stopped many times, and so eventually they became followers of Jesus. And they kept telling these stories everywhere they went. So the gospel was spread. Then they made her a foot inspector, because, you know, they used to bind up the feet of the women. Actually, when the little girls, they would bind up their feet with little tiny shoes. They wouldn't let their feet grow, and they would kind of, as they tried to grow, they'd get all mangled. And then the women would hobble around when they got older because their feet were so tiny, and they were just deformed. And that was an abuse. So that was finally outlawed, largely as a result of the influence of Protestant missionaries. And so she was assigned to be the foot inspector because she had regular-sized feet. So she went out into the villages and she told the gospel everywhere she went. But not only that, God gave her a heart of compassion. She loved the children. She saw a lady who was abusing this little baby. She was taking her out to beg. And she asked this woman, are you the girl's mother? She said, what's that to you? So she bought the baby for nine pence. She called the baby nine pence, raised her up as her own, and she adopted a few more orphans. And she got a reputation for being a compassionate woman. So when World War II broke out and the Japanese were bombing the area and killing a lot of people, there were so many orphans, they all brought their orphans to her. So their inn was filled up with 200 orphans, and a, a bunch of wounded soldiers. Some of them left ahead of time, but they were left with about a hundred of them, and it was too unsafe. It just wasn't safe for her to stay with them any longer. The Japanese had put a bounty on her head, a reward to, for her capture. So she had to escape. She took those hundred kids and walked over the mountains. 240 miles to Xi'an. Not on the main roads, but in the back back ways because it was too dangerous. When she arrived, she was so sick. She had typhoid fever and several other serious illnesses. When she arrived, she handed the kids to safe hands with other missionaries and she collapsed into a coma. 
But the Lord allowed her to be healed and she went on to serve the rest of her life. This was a housemaid whom the Lord called. Can be you, can be anybody. William Carey was one of the founders of the Protestant missionary movement. He said, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And William Carey himself, he's, he was quite an influencer. You see, this map of India, uh, up in the northeast corner, there's three provinces where the majority are Christians. Average is about 75% Christian. This one's called Meghalaya. Uh, William Carey's first disciple of Jesus wanted to serve the Lord. He went to Meghalaya, or very close to Meghalaya. His name was Krishna Chandra Paul. He went there. He tried to start some ministry. wasn't very successful, but they translated the Bible into their languages and set, really set the stage. Thank you. Set the stage for uh, what we see today. That India doesn't have a lot of Christians in some areas, but up there in the Northeast, there were a lot of Christians. And he laid a lot of the foundation for that. But it wasn't only that. He actually corresponded with the British colonial powers and there were a lot of things going on in India at the time one of the things that was just shocked him the most was that um, this is a book uh, from it's called William Carey by Vishal and Ruth Mangawadi he said when the, when the husbands would die and they married men who were much older than they were so most of the time the husband died first when the husband died it was perceived as bad omens who brought about the deaths of their husband the wife the wives were perceived as bad omens and so they had this practice they called sati and the woman would climb up on the funeral pyre of her husband and they would set it afire. They actually would clamp her down underneath some sticks and set it afire with her burned alive with her husband's body. And that was done again countless times in India, again and again. And so he lobbied to get rid of that practice, to make it illegal, and it was finally outlawed. Um, well, 1802, they called an inquiry. By 1829, it was finally outlawed. So it made huge differences. This one man made huge differences in the way the world is today. You would think he was some kind of a scholar or maybe a great businessman. What he was in England? A shoemaker. He was a shoemaker. In fact, he went one time to a banquet because he was having all this influence. And so they, there were some people at the banquet and they were giving him a hard time saying, Oh, look at you. You're just a shoemaker. How can you do anything? And he said, No, sir. Not a shoemaker. Only a cobbler. In other words, he didn't even make the shoes from scratch. He just repaired them. 
So God can use you. One last thing. This is tying the history to, to the present day. This is cited in Christianity Today. They interviewed Robert Woodbury. And in the process of his research, he went to Togo and Ghana. Now, now I'm not talking about the sandwich. Togo, it's the country this time. That's actually Kosovo's joke. I just borrowed from her. <laughs> All right, so there's two countries you can see here on, in West Africa, Togo and Ghana. And he went to the library at the University of Togo, and he found... It was just one portion of one floor on the library and hardly had any books, a lot less than probably a lot of us have in our own homes. And they were outdated. He went across the border to Ghana and he found they had a really nice library building with the latest books, lots of great research, and books that were published by their own local scholars. So what was the difference? Well, Togo was colonized by the French. And the French greatly restricted missions activity. But the British were the colonizers of Ghana, and missions, missionaries were more free, and they were independent of the government, and they valued education, and we see the fruit of that to this day. Literally, God transforms the world through ordinary people like you and me, because we are priests of the glorious God who calls us to proclaim his excellencies. So we serve in the church, and we serve as witnesses to get the gospel message out to the world. That's how we proclaim his excellencies. But it's not limited to our church services. It's not limited to our formal activities. It's all aspects of life, and I want to emphasize it's whoever you are, wherever you are. I don't want to underemphasize this, and I don't think I can overemphasize this. As I was getting this message ready, it was uh, last half of May, Minglan had to go back to Hong Kong to visit her family, and I was driving Kayla around, and I was quite busy. It's okay, Kayla. You're allowed to be around. <laughs> But it was it was it was kind of tiring, and I was stretching myself to the limit. And then my computer had problems, blue screen of death. And I was trying to recover it, and it got worse. And it just kept rebooting and rebooting and rebooting. And I finally realized there was no choice. I had to reformat the hard drive and put everything back on it again. Fortunately, I had backup. And I was discouraged because I didn't have a very good attitude about all this. And I was thinking, I don't even think I should give this message. And then the Lord reminded me, that's where we all are. A lot of us are going around with health problems or family issues or we're struggling with little kids or we have sick kids, we're exhausted. And that doesn't stop the Lord from using us. God can use all of us, and we don't have to have some special, amazing skill and be the greatest person. We just need to trust God. Jesus is the one that we exalt. It's not about us. I think back to when I was 12. I used to go visit a nursing home with my brother. 
and he was 17. And he, he took me there with one of his friends, and we, we would have a Bible study with the old ladies in the nursing home. And at, at the end of the Bible study, there was always one old lady, a lady named Harriet. She was kind of a tall lady with thin red hair. And she's, she always asked us to sing one song. When we all get to heaven. You know that one? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And it was, it wasn't like, the, it didn't sound like that though. It was, she was, she had a loud kind of squeaky voice and she sang out of tune. And we were in this stuffy little conference room and 80% of the volume was from her. And it was a beautiful, fragrant incense to the Lord. Do you think about it? She, was, she knew where she was going. And she knew she didn't have to wait very long. And she was looking forward to it. She wanted to sing that every week. Because she loved the Lord. And she wanted to see Him face to face. She was a priest of our God. And I learned a big lesson then. It's not about how we perform. It's about our heart. And she had a heart of gold. Well, after the Bible study, we went to visit with the ladies. And I used to, always used to go back with Ivy and Hazel. Sometimes Hazel didn't make it. So when she was still in her room, I would go back. And as soon as I walked in the room, she'd look up from her chair and she'd get a big smile on her face. And she said, My boy! You know, I was 12. I didn't know a whole lot of Bible. I didn't know how to talk either. I couldn't talk. I didn't know what to say to people. You know how 12-year-old boys are, right? They kind of... But, you know, the Lord gave me a gift. See, these ladies were there, just a bunch of old ladies, and they weren't healthy, But when they saw a young boy, that made them excited. I had the gift of being 12. (laughs) And I had the other gift is I couldn't talk, so I had to listen. And they needed somebody to talk to. So I listened to them tell stories, and Hazel talking about looking out her kitchen window, because she didn't have it all together, but Ivy did. Ivy was, was one sharp person, and... But she was blind. She couldn't see at all. And Ivy told me her relatives and Hazel's relatives, they left them there. I was the only one who came to see them once a week. So I didn't have that much to offer, but God used me to be a priest, to serve. And He can use all of you. It's not like Oh, I got all these things going on. Now I have to serve God too? It's not like that. God's probably given you something on your heart that you want to do that's a good thing and it gives you joy when you do it. That's the kind of thing that you can do to serve the Lord. It doesn't take from you. It gives you joy. Although sometimes 
you might think, oh, I've got to do this thing because it's needed and I don't want to do it. And then afterwards, you realize that the Lord was in it and you get the joy. It can work that way too. So many priests are better than one. You know your friends, you know your family better than anybody else. You don't want to rely on the pastor or some other leader to do the job. You're the one who can disciple others. When we pray, we all contribute. That's the beauty of it. There's the service, there's the gifts that the body of Christ offers. Ah, and then there's this, this, these two little models I think of. One is where you have this great preacher like Nick Weber. Everybody come and hear Nick Weber preach. <clears throat> and so they all come to the church and Nick gets himself exhausted trying to take care of everybody. But, you know, they're coming and the church is growing and you add one by one. But what happens if instead of that model... We look at it differently. All of us are priests to serve our God. So each of us is making disciples. And in our homes or wherever, we go out and we meet people. We start to lead them through the Bible. Oh, just like Marcia said, can we get together in the summer and study the Bible together? This is a beautiful thing. Because now the Bible is the power and the power of the Holy Spirit is the power to keep that going. So everybody is a disciple and then when those people become believers, they also make disciples. And so two becomes four, becomes eight, 16, 32, 64. You know the whole story. So it's an exponential growth, not a straight line. That's how Jesus designed things. There's no superstar in the church. Only Jesus. Amen. Jesus taught us all to be disciples. So what about us? One thing that's kind of sad to me, as we've been without a pastor for about two months now, I don't see very many people out here. I mean, those of you that are here, you're solid. I'm thankful for that. But it's sad to think that a lot of people are thinking, if there's not the pastor here, I don't need to be here. Or, oh, Steve left, I think I, I'm just going to leave. And I think people are, somehow our mindset is a little bit like, I'm going to go get, see a show, I'm going to kick my feet back and listen and hear what the pastor has to say. But that's not what God designed the church to be. All of us are the church. The pastor's role is to equip. To equip the saints. And all of us are the saints. So he has a little bit more time because he's paid. So he can spend more time to equip us to go out and do the work. That's the way it's designed. But on the other hand, I, I should say there's a lot of good things that I've seen in the last couple of months. Really good things. The Jesus told us his testimony. That was so precious this morning because that's, that's I, re, I remember he was saying how blessed he was with Financial Peace University. That was something that the Lord laid on the heart of Shane and Kim Jackstite 
And Shane wanted to share this with people because he knew that a lot of people were in debt and they're, they're having struggles with those issues. So he did this on his own initiative. Not because a pastor started it. And I thank God for that. I have seven things, by the way. Second one, Sahora Clinic. You know, that wasn't a pastor's initiative. That was Lynn Keene. Something God laid on her heart that she enjoys to do. And it's God's work. And because of the little small contribution that we make as a church to that ministry, they're able to open up a clinic and serve poor people who couldn't otherwise have medical care. That makes their ministry, as they preach the gospel, more welcome in the community. They're in a difficult part of India where it's um, they have anti-conversion laws, so people aren't supposedly aren't allowed to change to become Christian. But they're able to continue because they serve the community so much. And this is the blessing that we have to be able to participate in that. The children's ministry, we've been stretched as we've dwindled in size, but we keep it going. And the kids are blessed because they hear the word of God every week. And thank God for that. It's a joy for me too. And then this really warms my heart as a high school group. I see Kayla and Josie, they're a little embarrassed over there. But you know, the Lord has worked through that amazingly. They've been pastorless for about a year now. And the Lord chose not to put a pastor in charge. The Lord chose to use them. So when David and Kate Niece left, they had equipped them really well. When David and Kate Niece moved to Ohio and left us, Kayla and Josie decided, hey, we can keep this Bible study going. In fact, as they prepared their Bible studies, they had ownership in that, they got deep into the Word of God. They had a vision. They didn't want to just have a high school group, a youth group with a bunch of people coming together to have fun. They wanted to study the Bible. That's what gave them joy. They wanted to pray for each other because they knew the Lord hears them and, and listens to their prayers. And so they did what the Lord laid on their heart, and God has grown them tremendously through it. This is how God works through all of us, not through just one. Discipleship, like Marcia mentioned, and then I was going to mention Jason because I, I know my home group the best. So Jason was, was telling me that um, he's meeting now every week with one of his friends to go through a book of the Bible. And after a couple of weeks, on the third week, he said, oh, I, I can't make it this time. I'm going to miss this meeting. And he says, let's not wait until next week. Let's meet on the weekend. So the person who's his friend who's studying the Bible with him is eager to learn more. That's how God's at work through everybody. And then the preaching has been a real blessing. Ian mentioned this that this morning already. To hear Ian and Scott and David Lynn and Sanvi and who did I miss? Josh. To hear all these guys 
and I was always looking forward to it. So when I'm not back with the kids, I'm looking forward to hearing the Word of God being preached faithfully from all these different guys because each one brings their own perspective and that blesses me a lot. And finally, the worship. We didn't miss anything by having the pastor leave in terms of the worship, right? We kept going. And I've been really blessed with Patty's humble heart and Patty and Jason up here, you know, week after week to lead us in worship. And it's, it's just a blessing to come before the Lord. So we don't have a pastor now. Or now we do have a pastor. But we don't want to get lazy and kick back and say we're going to come for the show. We don't have a king. Remember the Old Testament? The, the Israelites wanted a king. And Samuel said, no, you, you don't want a king. Because if you have a king, he'll take advantage, he'll do this and that. He says, you have, your king is God. So we don't have one priest. We have many priests. Our leader is Jesus Christ. And with that, let's go back one more time. Quickly read the, the verses. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Father, we've received mercy from you. We're thankful for all that you've done through all of us. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will work through us, that you will build us up, that you will multiply this church, that you will um, restore it to what it once was and, and even more. Fill us with your Spirit, Lord. We need you and we're nothing without you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.